0: The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: A crown of thorns placed on his head. He knew that he would soon be dead. He said, did you forget me, Father, did you?
0: Then I saw another angel flying in midair. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. I'm sharing with you what is called in Scripture the Three Angels Message. It's a very sobering message. It comes just before Jesus comes again in the clouds of glory. Let me read it for you. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. The judgment of God is referred to as the mystery of God. The mystery is finally finished. It's a mystery because we don't usually see the God of heaven as a judge sitting against sinners and destroying them. Jesus is the judge. He sits on the throne and all judgment was placed in his hands nowhere do we see jesus while on earth condemning men to death the woman caught in adultery comes he says to her when he has written on the on the ground in the sand and the dirt the sins of the pharisees that stood around him and they leave he says has no man condemned you no Well, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your sin. So while Jesus was on the earth, he didn't condemn men. He didn't pass judgment. Instead, he loved us, and he called us to leave our sin. But now there's a mystery. It's a strange work of God. It is when he destroys the sinners. He did that in the flood with water. He'll do that next time with fire. It is a mystery of God. In Revelation fourteen eight, the second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which has made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, He, too, will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There's no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. The beast power spoken of here is the same beast power that we see arising in an earlier chapter, chapter 13, the beast coming out of the sea, the sea representing many peoples. He has seven heads with ten crowns on his horns. This is the Daniel 2 image of the beast, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and now the feet mixed after the 30-year war, feet mixed iron and clay. Well, this beast is an amalgamation of all of these powers represented by animals. Remember, Babylon was represented by a lion. Medo-Persia represented by the bear. So this beast power represents all of these kingdoms of man as they stand against the Lord God of heaven. And finally, there will be one world government, and we see that beast power rising now. We're a people of, of state nations, but that's changing, and the beast power is now beginning to take over. And by the way, Ukraine just passed a new law. They are the first nation in the world to pass a very strict code where every person will have to have on their cell phone all of their medical information. It is a total social score. It is the first nation of 666. And with that will come every other nation joining with the United States leading the way, or Babylon. And as that takes place, there will be an identifying mark called the mark of the beast or the mark of the one world government, a mark of the one governing power over all of the earth. And if you take this mark, you're pledging allegiance to the powers of darkness and you will be destroyed. you will not be able to buy or sell times are going to become very painful and very difficult now what's what's hard to understand in the book of revelation is that it's snapshots it's play acts they're not necessarily in sequential order although in this case you have the three angels message And the next thing that it says is, blessed are those who die in the in the Lord from now on, because many will die a a death of martyrdom because they will not receive this mark. And then it says in the next verse, I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like the son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. This is the coming of Jesus. Another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Now after that, another angel comes. And they gather together, all the sinners, all of those who've received the mark of the beast. And the scriptures say they're thrown into the wine press of God's wrath in preparation for the final white throne judgment where men will be judged and then cast into the fire of hell. Now, as we've been studying together in the book of Revelation, we have... Over here in the sixth chapter, the beginning of the seals that are being opened, they are sequential seals. We are currently right now in the third seal of the final reset of the economy and the coming of the digital currency in preparing the way for the mark of the beast. The digital currency will not be the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is when we make a confession of faith and trust in the beast power. Now, some of you have taken the jab. Is that the mark of the beast? Absolutely no. It may play some part. I don't know. We don't know some of these things. But the mark of the beast is literally something you receive When you swear allegiance for your survival to the beast power, it is a political power. It is a world governing power. So if you took the jab, so-called vaccine, even though it was not a vaccine, you've not received the mark of the beast. But the day will come when you will take that mark or you will be put to death. So we have these seals, the fourth seal or the next one that will open will be the intense persecution against Christians where Christians will be scapegoated all over the world and especially in America. I never thought that was possible until the events of the last two years have transpired and you see how a person can be utterly... Cancelled, destroyed. It's interesting to me that the Supreme Court nominee that is currently being looked at refuses to define what a woman is. But I'll bet she goes to a gynecologist. (laughs) She's gone insane. And America is going insane. And so we see truth being cast down, lies being lifted up, and lives being destroyed by the lack of truth. So these seals sequentially open, and finally we come to the seven trumpets. Now, the difficulty is where in all of this lining up of seals, seventh seal, and under that, seven trumpets, and under that, seven thunders. These are all the final judgments of God as he brings about the redemption of his people, and he brings about the destruction of the evil. Now, if you look, its I'll show you what I mean when I say things are not exactly in order. Chapter 14. Verse one, then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him a hundred and forty four thousand who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They come out of the earth during the great tribulation. But then it comes to the three angels' message. Where does that fit in the whole scheme? We know that the three angels' messages will be given, and then Jesus will come in glory. But we go back under the seals. And we find under the sixth seal that Jesus comes. So it's, it's not easy to decipher. And I guess we don't need to decipher it. Everyone has their own opinions, but you know what? I'm not interested in man's opinion. Some things we won't know until we see them worked out in time and space and history. But this three angels' message, we need to pay very close attention to. It's a terrifying message. I pastored a church in Rockville, Maryland, and we had on the front of this beautiful white edifice the three angels in a beautiful artistic display in iron of the three angels flying. It was the central message. We need to hear this message again today. It's time for these three angels to proclaim this message over the earth. It's a message of warning. Get serious about Jesus. And don't go with the beast power. Now, why that's so important today is because the beast power is now arising. And tyranny is taking over our nation. Our president this last week made the announcement, happily, we're entering into a new world order. He should have said we're entering into the beast power of revelation because that's the truth. Now, if we consider this, then how do we begin to deal with our own hearts? And I read for you Ephesians. I'll begin in verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In China, in the desperate persecution, I have listened to some of these pastors who have come to America, who have escaped China after spending years in jail, tortured. He said the most wonderful part of that experience was that time after time, those men and women put in prison in China for their faith in Jesus, as they're being tortured, They're loving and witnessing to their torturers about Jesus. And many of those torturers turned to Christ and were joining them in prison as prisoners, and they too were tortured. The gospel of Jesus is so powerful, and the love of Jesus Christ is so wondrous It's not about institutionalism. It's about Jesus. Listen, this is chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Find out what pleases the Lord, and have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it says, Wake up, O sleeper! Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I like Tyndall's translation. He translates this verse, Stand up! and Christ shall give you light. Hmm. Now, as as I consider this, I want to come back, and I want to share some stories, and I want to say some things that some of you may have a hard time with. You see, in America, we have not allowed the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to touch us. That's why the American church is basically apostate. What do I mean when I say apostate? I mean they have left Jesus. They have turned to false doctrines. Nowhere in that Ephesians passage that I just read to you does it say that a person who has Imputed righteousness, that is, a sinning Christian can go to heaven, says the wrath of God is on the sinner. And you say, but pastor, I can't leave my sin. Well, that's because you've never totally sold out for Jesus. And your religion is primarily a self-help process, strategies for success, workshops and seminars to help you be a better person. No, Romans 6 says you can become a better person by being crucified with Jesus. You see, we've comforted ourselves with falsehoods, and I have been guilty of this also. How have we comforted ourselves? Well, we say to one another, hey, you're not so bad. You're a good person. Don't feel so bad. I wish I had a dollar for every person has said to me, Pastor, stop talking about the Holy Spirit and how you want his presence and power. You already have him. Don't worry about it. Be happy. They're lying to me. I know that we have not even begun yet to be sufficiently serious about Jesus. We've been distracted by every kind of entertainment, every kind of Money scheme. We've been distracted by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, in the face of that, how have we been able to manage staying lukewarm? Well, because we have said in the American church that salvation and righteousness is a progressive work. Nowhere in scripture is salvation talked about and sanctification talked about as a progressive work. It's not a progressive work. When a person comes to Jesus and prays through, they are finished with their sin, and they have the victory, and they have the power, and they begin to witness with great love and compassion to others who are still caught in their sin. Our salvation is not progressive. Maturity is progressive, but maturity is not sin. Sin is intentional rebellion and not giving God way in our heart, but choosing to be in control of our own hearts. And I'll tell you what I came to finally. Not walking in any known sin, but reserving a very small place in my heart where I could just veg out and be me. That had to go to the cross. Now, I want to share some things to give you a picture of what's happened in the past as an example of where we need to be moving now. First, I'm going to read a a portion of of a story, Holy Spirit Revivals by Charles Finney, to give you a sense of what I'm talking about. He is invited to go, and this is in the 1820s when revival started in New York State. Charles Finney, they say, brought more than a quarter of a million people to, to conversion, to serious relationship with Jesus. There were three pious women in the village. This is the village of Antwerp in New York State the hotel keeper's wife, the wife of of a merchant, and the wife of a physician. He writes, I arrived there on a Friday and called on those pious women asking them if they would like to have a meeting. They said that they would, but they didn't know that it would be possible. One of the women agreed to open her parlor, and that evening we had a meeting, and I preached to the small audience of people of about 13 people. I said I would preach on Sunday if I could get the use of the village schoolhouse. The trustees said yes, and the next day the news of a Sunday morning meeting at the schoolhouse spread among the people. In going around the village, I heard a vast amount of profanity, more than in any place I'd ever visited before. It seemed as if the men, no matter what they were doing, were all cursing and swearing and damning each other. I felt as if I had arrived upon the borders of hell. I had an awful feeling as I went around the village on Saturday. The very atmosphere seemed to me to be poison, and a kind of terror took possession of me. I gave myself to prayer on Saturday, and finally this answer came, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. That's Acts eighteen nine and 10. This completely relieved me of all fear. I found, however, that the Christian people there were really afraid that something serious might happen if religious meetings began again in that place. But I could see that the news of my preaching at the schoolhouse had passed around the village enough to create quite an excitement. Sunday morning, I arose and left my lodging to go to the hotel. In order to get alone where I could let out my voice as well as my heart, I went up into the woods at some distance from the village and remained there for considerable time of prayer. However, I did not find relief, so I went up a second time. But the load upon my mind increased, and I did not find relief. I went up a third time, and then the answer came. I found that it was time for the meeting, and I went immediately to the schoolhouse. It was packed to its uttermost capacity. I had my pocket Bible in my hand and read them this scripture. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I cannot remember much of what I said, but I know the point of what I was trying to bring home was the treatment that God had received in return for his love. The subject affected my own mind very much, and I preached and poured out my soul and my tears together. Attending the meeting were several of the men who had been profane the day before. I pointed them out and told them that what they had said, how they had called on God to damn each other. "'Indeed, I let loose my whole heart upon them. "'I told them they seemed to howl blasphemy in the streets like hellhounds, "'and it seemed to me that I had arrived on the very verge of hell. "'Everybody knew that what I said was true, and the people wept. "'And I wept. "'I think there was scarcely a dry eye in the house. "'After the service, the people scattered and carried the information in every direction.' And in the afternoon, the church was nearly as crowded as the schoolhouse. Everybody was at the meeting, and the Lord let me loose upon them in a wonderful manner. My preaching seemed to be something new to them. Indeed, it seemed to me as if I could rain hail and love upon them at the same time. In other words, I could rain hail upon them in love. It seemed as if my love for God in view of the abuse they had heaped upon him sharpened my mind to the most intense agony. I felt like rebuking them with all my heart and yet with a compassion that they could not mistake. The labors of that day were effective in convicting most of the population. From that day, no matter where or when I would appoint a meeting, the people would throng to hear. The work immediately commenced and went forward with great power. I preached twice in the village church on Sundays, attended prayer meetings at intermissions, and generally preached somewhere, usually in the schoolhouse, at five o'clock in the afternoon. Now I want to stop a moment. I want you to begin to grip and understand what I'm saying. I ask people, "Have you won anyone to Jesus this year?" I was in a a dinner meeting with about 20 leaders from a local church. They'd invited me to come and eat with them. And toward the end as the meeting was The meal was almost finished. I got everyone's attention, and I said, I have a question for you all. Has anyone in this group won anyone to Jesus in the last year? Would you raise your hand? Not one hand went up. I said, has anyone in this group won anyone to Jesus in the last five years? Not a a hand went up. And I said, how can you claim to be leaders in a congregation of old people? Your church is dying. You're wanting to build a new building. You're saving money. You're sacrificing your money. But you have no witness. And I said, but I know what you do in your spare time. You get together, guys, and you play cards and you gamble with nickels. I've heard you talk very excitedly and constantly about the football games, the baseball games. You go over to each other's houses and you sit for hours listening to each other and watching the games. But not one word about Jesus to anybody. Well, they got really angry with me and one man Said, pastor, it's not my job to win people to Jesus. That's the preacher's job. I'm supposed to just attend church, give my tithe and offerings, and, and once in a while help out however I can. I said, no, brother, you've missed it. It is your responsibility. But the bottom line was these precious men had no conviction of heart about their own sin. They were all comfortable. They all had wonderful jobs or retirements. Many of them were retired colonels or lieutenant colonels from the military. They had a nice life. Beautiful homes, new cars. No piety. No holiness. Why? They had no conviction. They had entertained themselves with the television and the internet and their cell phones and with each other, with the games, with sports. They had entertained themselves with money while they played church. How does that change? Well, let me share. First, how do you begin to have conviction about winning someone to Jesus? You you begin to have conviction by thinking about them and feeling in your heart how sad it's going to be on the day of judgment when they're sent to hell because you never cared enough to witness. But why wouldn't you care enough to witness? Because you yourself are a sinner. And hiding from God and hiding from people and being unwilling to go to the bottom with Jesus and confess who you really are. And you've convinced yourself that it's a progressive work and I'm making progress and I'm doing the best I can do and Jesus is just going to have to put up with who I am because this is who I am? I want to tell you in these stories that I read People fall down under conviction, and they weep. How does that begin to happen? By thinking in your mind about the inventory of your soul. You begin to examine, how are you really with Jesus? And you begin to get honest And the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart. And he begins to open for you the pride and the arrogance of your heart. He opens for you the way you have wasted time and money and energy on everything of the foolishness of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And how you have comforted yourself that you're as good as the next person. We really are just lukewarm. I have one brother. Brother Ed. Sometimes he'll sit in church and the tears will just flow down his face. And people have said to him, now, come on, brother, you haven't done anything that wrong. And they try to comfort him that he should just relax, take a break, do something fun, go read a book, go take a walk, take a vacation, do something to divert your mind. Have you diverted your mind from your true condition before God so much so that you don't even know who you are anymore in the spirit? Oh, you know who you are In the entertainment, you know who you are in the lust of your heart. But you don't know Jesus. There is not anything so important as to find out who Jesus is in your heart. I have a a story. I'm going to share it very quickly. I'm, I'm going to run out of time. And we may have to continue this, but let me, let me read something to you. Um, This is the story of a pastor of a large Methodist church. And he is totally opposed to the message of holiness and repentance He's doing great. Well, his son and daughter go to the meetings. He won't go. And he shut everybody out of the church. But they found a home they could meet in. And his, his son and daughter go. He drug his daughter out by her collar, said, you're never allowed to come here again. But she came back. And she got on her face before God. And she honestly repented. Now the story comes. The son and daughter arrived home. They went into the room where his father was sleeping, believing his daughter to be upstairs in her bed. But she called out to him and said, Father, I disobeyed you last night. I just had to go back there or go to hell. Now, Father, I'm ready and prepared for my punishment. The son was standing at her side with his head bowed, pleading for the salvation of his father. This is a very religious man, a a pastor, a Methodist pastor. Go to bed and let me alone, the father said. No, father, I want my punishment. I disobeyed you, and I'm ready. At that, he gave a yell, and he bounded out of bed, and he fell on his knees and went to crying for mercy. Why would he do that? Well, frankly, because he's been confronted with the knowledge of his sin. Most of us will do everything possible to avoid being confronted with the knowledge of our sin so that we can have a comfortable mind and not be upset and not be disturbed. Well, the son and the daughter dropped on their faces, and in 10 minutes, their mother climbed out of bed and came and knelt beside them and said, children, pray for me too. I need what I believe you both have. So they wrestled in prayer until the following afternoon when the mother prayed through. Wait a minute. They spent a day praying. The father did not get through. He asked us back to the church that night, but as both rooms were full, we held the meeting in the usual place that night. I preached on the text, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. The mother prayed through for sanctification early the next morning, but the father still did not get through. As soon as it was daylight, he hitched up and went to every one of those men and women from his church whom he'd called out of there, and he asked their forgiveness. It took him three days to make the circuit, but he did it. He said that at the first house, he went he asked forgiveness and invited the people out to the meeting. They closed the door as he started to leave when a voice said to him, and is that all? He looked around, saw no one near him. Not being used to the voice of God, he was quite puzzled. By the time he reached the gate, he heard the same voice again with the same words. He said that if he had to go back, and he fell on his knees before those people and really asked their forgiveness. He knelt before all 300 members of his congregation. And then we came back to the church. And we spent three weeks there every night trying to get right with Jesus. Now, there's one more part I want to share with you. This pastor and his wife, she prayed through, got victory and began to praise Jesus and worship him. It took him five days of prayer and agony before he was finally willing to be honest about his sin and lay his life down before Jesus. I could read you account after account after account of what happened in revivals. And always it was the same It was people finally getting a hold of the fact that they were lost sinners and that their religion would not save them. And they had to get down and humble their heart before God and before each other. And when they did, it often took hours or days before it was finally finished. And when they came through, how did they know they were through? Because the peace of God entered into their hearts and the power of the Holy Spirit came into their lives. And they became powerful witnesses for Jesus Christ. You can't win somebody to Jesus when you haven't been to the bottom about your own sin. Until you've sorted through those memories of the past and brought them before the Lord until you've made restitution for those you have wronged, until you have forgiven those who have hurt you. That takes time. It is not a progressive work. If you think your sanctification is a progressive work, you will never get through, and you will say, it's okay if I'm a sinner because this is the best I can do. No, the work of grace is by faith. It is a sovereign work of God that he does in our hearts, as he deals with us to the very bottom, and then gives to us the gift of being truly made righteous. The word righteous, in the scripture, in the Greek, it's dikasune, and it simply means innocent. But we pretend innocence when we know we carry in our heart a load of guilt, We know we carry in our heart a cynicism and an anger and a bitterness. We know we carry in our heart the memories of past failures. Now, some can go to a psychotherapist and work those out. But then it's just a human dealing and a sympathizing with our behaviors. No, if you want real deliverance, you're going to have to go to Jesus and get on your face, and you're going to have to stay there and pray as long as it takes until you finally come through and have the victory. I don't know how long it will take you, but I know it's taken me a great deal of time and effort and energy and crying out before God. Many times I call people to pray with me, Part of the struggle I have at the National Prayer Chapel is I I ask people to pray, and they'll pray one time, and then they're finished. And it's a prayer that is basically a bless me, bless us. We're good people, aren't we, God? Well, that kind of prayer doesn't even get into the throne room of God. Jesus doesn't even hear it. It hits the ceiling and bounces back like a bullet to pierce our hearts. No, if you want to get serious with Jesus, you're going to have to take the time Do the inventory? This is not an emotional. There are emotions, but this is not really an emotional job. It is an intellectual understanding of what my sin is against God, what his wrath is against me. And I then begin to deal honestly with that wrath because he is a real person and he is the judge. Sometimes I've enjoyed listening to Judge Judy as she asks her piercing questions to unveil what they don't want to talk about. That's what the Holy Spirit does with us. He asks us those questions, and we can blow them off. We can blow them off and go about our lust for food and entertainment and friendship and money and all the other human the human spirit lust that we all were born with. Part of my struggle coming to this radio day by day, is how, do, how do I in the power of the Spirit awaken you and call you to begin this process of self-dealing with God? It's not belly button searching, it's Jesus searching, and it's being honest with him as a real person about who you are. And as you begin to think about these things and you recall those memories, emotions will flow and tears will flow. And then you have to deal with God on what you did. You understand there's a record of what you did 20 years ago. And in God's eyes, he stored up wrath against you. And you will face the judgment if you don't go back and deal with these issues and lay them bare before the throne of God and begin to understand you're responsible before Jesus. He'll do the work. It's all by faith. It is a supernatural work of God that he does in our hearts. It's not by white-knuckling it. (laughs) If you know the ways of God, he requires that you awaken, that you confess, And then you repent. There's a difference between confession and repentance. Confession is just admitting, yes, I did it. I'm guilty. But Repentance is when we say, okay, I'm going to give this to Jesus. I'm going to renounce it in his name, and I'm not going back there. I'm done with it. I'm not going to dive back into my anger. I spoke with a person yesterday, and she said to me, Pastor Ray, I don't know how to deal with my anger. I'm always angry with my husband. I'm angry. I don't want this anger in my heart. I don't want to treat him this way. But I can't seem to control it. No, I said you won't be able to control it until you come to Jesus and get real. There are hurts in your heart and hurts in your past you've got to have healed. Only the blood of Jesus can heal those. I'm concerned about those of you who are listening. Revival will not come in some magic moment, rubbing a rabbit foot, praying all night. One brother said, brother, revival's not going to come until we start praying all night. No, 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 no. If you pray all night, it better because be because you're honestly dealing with your sin and confessing and not some hyped up notion about some magic revival that's going to come. There's no magic in revival. It's people getting right with God. It's, it's when we finally admit who we are. That's revival. And we allow Jesus to do the supernatural work of redemption in our hearts. It's not religion. It's not institutional church. It's one on one with Jesus. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. You can write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. We're still about $1,700 short before all the pledges come in for this month's radio Cost And I know I'm standing by faith that Jesus will move in your hearts. Some of you have given so sacrificially. Thank you. Thank you. Some of you haven't done anything yet. I invite you to give as the Holy Spirit prompts you. You can do that by going to our webpage also, nationalprayerchapel.com. And there uh, you'll find this broadcast posted later today. So you can listen again or send it to a friend. And would you subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't done that already? Uh, that will cause more people to hear because Google will spread it further. About 30% of people who find this broadcast do so through Google, searching for us. So, go to the, to the webpage, com. You can give online, and there are many other resources for you. My brother, my sister, thank you for joining me today. Another broadcast of Pilgrim's Progress. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ.